Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. One of the biggest growth areas in investing right now is ethical investing and ESG, environmental, social and governance issues. Put simply, it's about investors wanting to put their money into funds and companies that align with their own values and, of course, still see solid returns. One such fund launched in Australia last week with a hard exclusion approach to a range of industries, meaning no money goes towards them. The People and Planet Diversified Fund by Apostle Funds Management also looks at the companies it invests in to ensure no human rights violations, unethical corporate governance, or even deforestation. Fiona Manning is the Portfolio Manager at Apostle Funds Management and my guest this morning. Fiona, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So you've said this fund is the natural evolution of sustainable investing in Australia and that, that it's unique in the marketplace. How? Well, I guess uh, everyone is pretty familiar with negatively screened funds. You know, they've literally been around for hundreds of years, um, you know, spurned through religious organisations. And they're all about sort of avoiding the bad, things that we're not necessarily comfortable having exposure to. But research shows that investors are increasingly interested in positive impact. So not just avoiding things that they're uncomfortable with, but also actively supporting the good. And also investors are keen on getting diversification. We looked in the marketplace. We didn't see anything that really fit the bill. So we decided to build one. Fantastic. Okay. So let's run through. I'm I'm interested in both sides of this coin, the things that you exclude and the things that shareholders or unit holders want included in the fund. So let's start with the things you exclude. Are there the normal sorts of things? Yeah, they are sort of some of the fairly normal things you would see, you know, alcohol, tobacco, fossil fuels, animal welfare issues, and so on. I guess what differentiates us in terms of our application of the negative screens is that we have a hard exclusion. There's a lot of funds that will have sort of a threshold of tolerance. So, you know, if a company derives more than 5% of revenue from the production of fossil fuels, that'll be okay to go in the fund. But we've sort of found that for values-based investors, any exposure is too much. And also having a threshold kind of disregards the absolute impact. So you can have a very large diversified miner that might derive, you know, less than 2% of their revenue from thermal coal mining. But because they're enormous, uh, in absolute terms, they're actually a big player in the market. And it's also thresholds can be a little bit confusing because we're dealing with, I guess, product types, so alcohol, tobacco, pornography, etc. Then you're also dealing with involvement type, you know, is the company producing, distributing or providing services to these industries? And then you're adding on the thresholds. It makes it really hard for investors to compare and find out, I guess, what they're actually getting exposed to. Okay. So what about the, the types of areas that people do want to be investing in? Yeah, sure. So on that side, we've largely been guided by consumers and investor need. You know, there's quite a lot of research from the Responsible Investment Association Australasia, which is a big mouthful, about what clients want to support and see in their fund. And this really pointed to, uh, in aggregate, you know, climate action, avoidance of fossil fuels, but also animal welfare as a single issue seems to pop up. And then we've essentially used the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which is a framework for how we might achieve peace and prosperity on the planet. And it's a fairly, I guess, well-regarded language for talking about positive impact. And then from there, we have focused on where we can actually make a difference across a diversified portfolio. And we landed on people, which is good health and well-being and gender equality, and planet, which is all around affordable and clean energy and climate action. Okay. It must, it just, it sounds like a lot of work. If you want to invest in something like Nestle or one of those massive food companies, actually working out 
that they source all their product from sustainable environments and and you know the people that are used to create the products and that it must be challenging to actually do what you're trying to do here Fiona it definitely is, but fortunately, there's quite a lot of third-party research providers. It's an increasingly busy space because it is a growth area. You have really sophisticated screening tools, so you can kind of take out some of the lead work with those, I guess, quant approaches, you know, looking through their revenue streams. But yeah, you still do need to apply a qualitative assessment when it comes to gray areas, I guess, like, you know, corporate governance, you know, ethical or not, human rights violations, you know, at what point? Is it intolerable? Is it when there's a verified allegation? Uh, yeah, so there is still a, I guess, a fair amount of legwork involved as well. Okay. So let's say you take a company like Total, which is the big French oil and gas giant. And I could understand that that's screened out, but they're also spending probably as much money as anyone else trying to get into renewables or at least change their business model, as are a bunch of other companies who understand, maybe not the, um, the the coal producers, but many other companies are trying to transfer the, their revenue streams from fossil fuels to renewables in, in that energy space. How do you think about those sorts of organisations who are actually improving outcomes, but still digging up coal? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place for investors who are interested in those for want of a better word, kind of ESG momentum type stories where they're moving in the right direction but not quite there now. We felt that our fund was best suited, well, there was more demand, I guess, for funds that had clear-cut thresholds uh, because you don't often get the chance to explain those stories. And some of them are really good stories, particularly in Europe. You know, there are a lot of utilities there that still have a significant exposure to fossil fuel-based power generation, but they're also the largest investors in renewable energy. So our stance at the moment at this stage is just hard exclusion. We won't have that exposure, Uh, but I'm not saying it's necessarily, you know, there is merit in that idea of ESG momentum and catching those that are moving in the right direction. Okay. And then the other thing I just wanted to ask about is whether some sectors can transition from being good to bad or alternatively bad to good. I may have even been you, Fiona, we were discussing airports at one point where um, airports were always a bad because of noise pollution, but because of technology has improved that so much that some funds, some ethical funds now think airports are okay. That's just an example. Is it easy for sectors or companies to transition one way or the other? I think it depends. It's probably a company by company assessment, I would think. I don't think a blanket approach could be applied to, for instance, all miners on how they uh, will handle their transition. Um, You know, for a company that's 100% focused on mining thermal coal, they will obviously find the transition to a you know decarbonized economy a lot more difficult than a diversified miner, which is also, you know, might, might still be digging up coal, but also, you know, copper and other sort of metals that are going to be really critical for that transition. So I'd say not wanting to dodge the question, but I think it is a company by company assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay with me, Fiona. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Portfolio Manager at Apostle Funds Management, Fiona Manning. So you've started the fund. Statewide Super has tipped seed investment into its money into it. Is that correct? That's correct. So what's this? I mean, Super Funds really hold so much money in the local market. What's their demand like for ethical investing and is it growing? 
Well, if you believe the reports from RIA, which I think are really well-researched surveys, there does seem to be growing interest in this area. And, I, you know, the appetite for super funds to get into, you know, ethical, responsible, sustainable, impactful, all of these investing types is definitely led by member demand. I mean, younger generations are typically much more driven by sustainability issues and you know, though their super balances might be small now, they will obviously grow. At the other end of the spectrum, older generations have accumulated more wealth and have large balances. And, you know, perhaps their minds are turning towards thoughts of legacy for their children and grandchildren or just, you know, future generations more generally. I guess values-based investors aside, though, this type of investing should have pretty broad appeal as it really taps into megatrends like decarbonisation of the economy, you know, the growing and ageing global population, enhanced productivity through greater participation of women in the workforce and so on. Is it something that eventually there'll be a premium for assets that do better at this? Well, there is already talk about, they call it a greenium um, on assets like this. A greenium, Fiona. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to use that, greenium. Yeah, and I guess it's a little hard to extract whether there's a perceived greenium or premium for certain types of company because, you know, sustainable investors are flooding into them or if there's a premium because they tend to be higher quality uh, companies. You know, sort of ESG assessments and proper management of, you know, sustainability long term is often very highly correlated to, you know, quality of board and how the company is run. Okay. I mean, the question always comes up in terms of compromising on returns in terms of share price, so if there's a greenium or if a greenium continues to grow, that's going to be less of a perceived issue anyway. Yeah, well, I guess the weight of super funds anyway is forcing super funds to go outside of you know readily accessible listed and liquid markets. Exclusions obviously reduce your opportunity set, but on the flip side, by specifically targeting positive impact, it's opening up other avenues for investment that are not readily or widely found in liquid markets. So things such as you know, unlisted real estate debt or equity funds that focus on you know, medical offices, student housing, affordable accommodation, you know, fixed income exposure that focuses on green and sustainable bonds, female-led enterprises. So I don't think necessarily it's going to shackle your performance. It, it does though change your opportunity set. Yeah, I mean, that opportunity set then must be huge in terms of it's a global, you, you're looking globally, you need to get a, a lot across a lot of assets and also funding types as well. Yes, there's no shortage of opportunities out there. I guess a lot of the work is trying to find the good ones that stack up from both both a positive real-world outcome viewpoint as well as you know providing a conventional sort of financial return. Yes, I, I, I mean, I don't know much about some of the, the, the debt funding products, but it seems to be in certain areas, they seem to be certainly garnering a lot more attention at the moment in terms of sustainable investing and the ability to invest in something which you know has a genuinely positive outcome at the end of the day, or am I making that up? You can make up whatever you like. It's your podcast. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, there's definitely, definitely been a lot of growth in debt markets. So, you know, in green and sustainable bonds, you know, social enterprise bonds, that has definitely been an area of growth relative to equity markets. I'm not sure why it's gone more in debt, maybe because it's easier to ring fence what funds are being used for versus sort of, I guess, the more general capital structure through listed equity markets. But yeah, there are not every asset class is, I guess, moving into this area at the same rate. 
Fiona, this has been a great 12 or 13 minutes. I've learned a new word, greenium, and I've been told I can do whatever I want on my own podcast. So thank you for coming in, talking to Fear and Greed. Thank you very much for having me. That was Fiona Manning, Portfolio Manager at Apostle Funds Management. This is a Fear and Greed daily interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.